Well, um, it's my blessing to uh, bring Cameron here to preach again today. Some of you uh, are familiar with Cameron. For those who are not, he is our seminarian from uh, Good Shepherd up in the wilds of Wisconsin at Neshoda House. And uh, so he's come down and he's now gasping for air in our heat, um, as all we are, of course, this last week. Um, but it's great to have him. He's doing an internship with us for, through June and July. And the time's going really quickly. But some of what we've been doing is we've been praying together, talking, visioning. And um, he's coming, uh, Lord's placed a vision for youth and young adult ministry on his heart. So just really excited about what that will look when he comes back and is with us uh, full time as our curate next year after he graduates at the end of May. But for now, um, I'm so thrilled that he is here to open God's word to us. So Cameron, uh, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for this, our brother, for your dearly beloved son. Lord, I thank you for bringing him into our midst. Thank you for the words that you have given him uh, today. Uh, Open our hearts to hear what you would speak to us through him from your holy word. It's in the precious name of our Lord and Savior Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank you. It's good to be with you all again. And I appreciate you allowing me uh, to practice my uh, preaching here. Am I on? Okay, good. My voice tends to drop gradually as I speak for an extended period of time. Who is this that even the winds and the sea obey them? Who is this indeed? Now, imagine with me for a moment, uh, close your eyes if it helps you, but a, a very human man, maybe disheveled hair, of dark Middle Eastern skin and descent, and he's, he's taking a nap on the stern of a boat. So I just want you to get a picture of, of Jesus' humanity. He's, he's laying there, he's exhausted from teaching, and he's probably sawing some logs. And... I love this picture because it gives us an image of Jesus' full humanity. He is a man. He's not a ghostly apparition or an angelic figure that shows up and performs magical wonders. He is fully human, in need of rest, in need of a midday nap. Who is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Right from the beginning of Mark's Gospel, a couple chapters back, we see that immediately as Jesus' ministry begins, the reactions to his ministry in both word and deed are astonishment. I want to read a passage right from the beginning of Mark's Gospel in the first chapter. It says, They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. This is their reaction. They were astounded at his teaching, For he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Then, so there's word, and now we move on to deed immediately following. It says, Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. 
But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. And again we see a reaction. They were all amazed. And they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And then moving forward a few scenes, we see his disciples asking, Who is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Now we had, uh, I don't know if you caught it, but in our reading from Job and in a part of our psalm this morning, we have uh, some, some lines that are very directly related to this passage. And you may, they may, have, uh, you may have picked up on the connection. Uh, in our psalm reading, we said, towards the end there, it said, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Now keep in mind, we're talking about the God of the Old Testament, the Creator God, Yahweh of Israel. That is who is being praised and lifted up in the Psalms. And then we move to this passage in Job, where Job as Job and uh, God have been having a conversation. Job has been talking a lot and asking about his suffering and how could this be happening and going on and on. And then God finally says, Job, put on your big boy pants. It's time for me to ask you some questions. And he begins to... Uh, to, to ask Job a series of questions. And in our passage today, we hear God say to Job, Tell me, who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed bounds for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stopped. Again, we see a connection not only of one who commands seas and storm to be still, but of the one who created the sea at the beginning of time. One calls, recalls to mind the, word, the very beginning words of John's Gospel in John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, N-R-K. The same, wor- the same exact words is in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning was God. And so we have this picture of Jesus at the very beginning of time as the agent of creation. Uh, there's been a couple times I've had the opportunity since I've been down here to travel out to the Atlantic Ocean and spend a little bit of time on the beach. And I tell you, the sense of awe that I get, especially in the early hours of the morning, uh, if, you, if you get a chance to do this, take some time by yourself and go out into a more secluded area and just listen to the ocean breeze and watch the sunrise and say your morning prayers and just be with the Lord and you, he will give you a sense of his majesty because the sea, the ocean is, is such a great reflection of his majesty, just a small glimpse of it. So I love this passage because in it we see both Jesus' full humanity, Jesus the man sleeping because he's in need of a nap, he's emotionally and mentally and physically exhausted from teaching and from healing and yet we see his full divinity as he, is, as he arises from his slumber and says, Peace, be still. And, and immediately the ocean, the sea, obeys him. This great God, the God who made the oceans, who made the cosmos that we live in, who sustains it by his very breath, takes flesh and blood 
gives up something to become a servant, to suffer with us, to identify with us in our emotions, in our pain, in our joy, in our human uh, sadness, in our grief, in all of our frailty. He comes and takes flesh and blood so that he knows what it is like to be human. This is the paradox of our faith, that the God of heaven and earth, the greatest being that you could imagine, also becomes a man and walks with us, abides with us, dwells with us, teaches us. The early church father, uh, Irenaeus, says of, of Jesus, he calls him the only begotten word who is always present with the human race, united to and mingled with his own creation, according to the Father's pleasure, and who became flesh is himself, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the mystery of our salvation, that God himself unites himself to humanity for the sake of reaching the fallen world that has turned against him, but that he continues to love and to reconcile to himself. So what does this mean for us? This, we've been having this theological reflection on the person of Jesus, his humanity and his divinity, this great mystery uh, that is the mystery of our faith. There's a connection here to the missionary work that we are called to as disciples of the Lord Jesus. And it is important to remember that theological reflection and missionary work, the work of the gospel, they depend on each other. And because the way that you come to think about and the beliefs that you have about God and about Jesus are going to inform how you live, how you work, how you interact with other people, and how you carry out the calling that he has placed on your very life. So what does this mean? Let's reflect on that. What does that, this mean practically for us? The writer of uh, the book of Hebrews it says, Since therefore the children share flesh and blood, he himself, meaning the children of God, he himself likewise shared the same things. So that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For it is clear that he did not come to help angels, but the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect. A beautiful words on why God became man. To free us from our sin and our bondage, our fear of death, and to unite us to himself so that that fear is abolished, knowing that in the end, resurrection life is what is to come. So, if anyone understands the connection between the power of Jesus' divinity and humanity united and the outcome of that expressed in the work of the gospel, I believe it is St. Paul. And in our passage in 2 Corinthians today, we get, uh, Paul gives us a very good glimpse of his awareness of the power that is at work in his ministry. Now, if you notice, he was setting up some sort of contrast and he said, well, it looks like this, but this is the reality. It looks like this, but this is actually the reality. And he's showing us He's showing us that in the eyes of the world, ministry is often a failure. It's often something that it's seen as weakness. It's unsuccessful. And we seem to labor in vain in the eyes of the world. Remember, Paul is uh, speaking and doing his work in, in the uh, context of the Roman Empire where worldly success is based on power and domination and worldly riches. 
And Paul is giving us a glimpse of a countercultural perspective on where true success and true victory come from. He says, With the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, in honor and dishonor, in ill repute and good repute, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. You see, Paul sees that in the eyes of the world, he has nothing. His, his work is a failure. It's carried out in vain. He, he constantly is suffering hardship and tumult and beatings and riots. But he says, because of the power of God, our, our, we have everything. We seem to have nothing, but we possess Everything, because it's his power that is at work. You see, Paul understands that ministry isn't so much about success, right, in the way that we define success. Paul understands that ministry is about being obedient to God's call on your life. If anybody has uh, suffered as much as possible and should be thought of as unsuccessful in the world's eyes, it's St. Paul. I mean, think about it. And so this passage is a reminder to us to hear again and again in a post-Christian age that sees, uh, that sees the church as a failure, that sees the church as superstitious and bigoted and a nuisance to mankind who's opposed to progress. This is a reminder for us to see that amidst all that and amidst feeling the pressure of the world for us to lose our faith and to cling to the culture instead, this is a reminder to us to be obedient the call that God has placed on our lives and to endure through the hardship of Christian ministry no matter what it looks like to our world. Again, the connection here with the incarnation is powerful. Because because God became man, we are able to be united with God. St. Peter says, you are partakers of the divine nature. This is a movement of from God to us, to dwell with us and to raise him back up into his life. Yes, in all that, our sins are forgiven because of the cross, and, but it doesn't stop there. We're also empowered to live a new life of new creation, resurrection life as we look forward to the hope to come because God has not only come down to save us and just leave and then that's it and we wait around for heaven. No, he's come to live with us, to take on our flesh, to empower us, to dwell with us, to carry out the ministry of healing and reconciliation to the world that is hurting and that needs that. We've been doing a lot of talking about, uh, as Sarah mentioned, the the future of Good Shepherd and talking about um, youth ministry and young adult ministry and how we might approach that. And I love doing that. It gets me excited. It gets gets us also excited to think about what God might do and that uh, God might call us to new ministries in the future. But the, the one thing in these passages bring us to remind that, that we have to not get distracted and remember that Christ has to be at the center. Christ has to be at the center. That came up in our confirmation class on Tuesday night. For those of you who were there, uh, one of our table group discussions, the question was, um, what are the signs of a, of a um, faithful congregation or a successful congregation or something? And we said, a healthy, that was, the na- that was the word. It was, what are the signs of a healthy congregation? And uh, 
through a conversation, the main thing that came up in our group was that Christ is always at the center. That Christ is at the center and that his word is preached and that all eyes are, are always fixed on him. Our motto at this church is revealing Christ's love. And we have to remember that. that we, re- we reveal his love through our hospitality and through our work together in the gospel. It will involve hard work. It will involve failure. It will involve disappointment. It will involve us being humbled by seeing that in our humanity, we are fragile and we are weak. Let this be a reminder, a joyful reminder, that as we carry out his work and his call on our lives in obedience, that it is the power of God through the Holy Spirit that is at work through us. He is always doing something powerful. Who is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Uh, C.S. Lewis puts the question like this. What are we to make of Christ? What are we to make of Christ? I was uh, reading an essay by him the other day by the, with that title. The title of it was, What Are We to Make of Christ? And he was talking about uh, the argument that Christ was just some sort of a spiritual apparition that appeared and, you know, he... He came and did some good stuff and then he went away and he was making the argument that, no, this was a flesh and blood human being who lived a life and who is a historical figure. And he's asking this question all along, so what do we make of him? What do we make of this Christ? And this is how he puts it. I want to put it, I want to read it to you because he says it so beautifully. And this really captivated uh, my heart as I was reading it. He says, what are we to make of Christ? The things he says are very different what any other teacher has said. Others say, this is the truth about the universe. This is the way you ought to go. But he says, I am the truth and the way and the life. He says, no man can reach absolute reality except through me. Try to retain your own life and you will inevitably be ruined. Give yourself away and you will be saved. He says, if you are ashamed of me, if when you hear this call, you turn the other way, I also will look the other way when I come again as God without disguise. If anything, whatever is keeping you from me, whatever it is, throw it away. Come to me, everyone who is carrying a heavy load. I will set that right. Your sins, all of them, are wiped out. I can do that. I am rebirth. I am life. Eat me. Drink me. I am your food. And finally, do not be afraid, for I have overcome the whole universe. Friends, this is our God, the one who not only calmed the wind and the seas, who not only created the seas and set its parameters, but the one who walked among us to identify with us who said, I care and love you so much, I'm going to take flesh and blood as a servant to show you my love for you, to redeem you. This is the one who not only speaks creation into existence, but who dwells with us in our morning hours over that first hot cup of coffee as we read our scriptures and as we seek him in the solitude of the morning. This is the one who dwells with us, who empowers our healing ministry who is right there when we lay our hands on people and ask for healing power. He has entered in to be with us, to lay his own hands and to heal all of our humanity, all of our sickness, all of our weakness. May we, as we dwell on this mystery of our faith, true God and true God, begotten, not made, of one 
being with the Father. May we recall this question to mind every day. What do I make of Christ? What do I make of Christ? And how do I live my life based on what I believe about that? the answer to that question is? He reveals himself to us in this very special way and giving us his body and blood at the altar. Now as we uh, prepare our hearts to come, I would just encourage us to think about this. Who is this Christ who makes himself manifest to me in the sacrament of the altar because of his love? He gives me his grace and empowers me for the work he has called me to do. Amen.